0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Rethink Resale Podcast. I'm your host, Hai Yu, and today I'm speaking with my guest, Sophie Ferrer. Sophie is the co founder and CEO of Lisa, a SaaS startup which offers live and social commerce enterprise solutions for the world's leading e retailers, marketplaces, and brands such as Marks and Spencer, L'Oreal. Avon USA, and many more. On the side, Sophie is also a guest lecturer at Columbia University on the topics of social and live commerce. Her company, Lisa, is on the mission to help e-retail easily transform into social discovery destinations for their communities and enable seamless cross-platform experiences for the entire ecosystem. Thank you for joining the show today, Sophie. Hi! Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. <laughs> Great. So before we get onto the practical side of things, uh, could you perhaps give us an um, a per- your de- your definition of alive and then social commerce? Ah, what am I? It's it's
1: funny. Over time, you get so passionate about definitions. I did not see this coming in my career, but I am very passionate <laughs> about definitions. Apparently, quite a stickler for them by now. Um, So, yes, social commerce. And that's probably one of the core problems um, of, you know, the sort of industry in general is that a lot of people in the West misinterpret or misunderstand what social commerce is. So most people you talk to will say, ah, social commerce. Well, that's simple. That's just selling stuff on social media. Um, That is not true. Right. So uh, what social commerce actually is, is basically any online experience where you're combining a group of people coming together and interacting in some way with a seamless path to purchase. So an easy, directly clickable way for them to buy the products um, that they mm-hmm. are talking about, exchanging about. So mm-hmm. what that includes is, for example, in-game shopping, right? Uh, that mm-hmm. could be considered social commerce or right. you know, VR shopping, AR shopping. What it also includes is live stream shopping. So live stream shopping is one example of a social commerce format. It is, for example, in China, by far the biggest one. So it's the most mm-hmm. commonly known one, but it's also right. only one example. So it has a much bigger set of experiences that social commerce includes than just buying stuff on social media.
0: Exactly. I think as we have seen in all the media and discussions, there are many versions of the definitions. It <laughs> also shows how popular the or how trendy the topic is. And could you share a little bit about your company, Lisa, and its social commerce solution? Yeah, yeah I'd love to. So uh, my co-founder and
1: I set out to help mostly large retailers because they tend to have the most difficulty in transforming easily <laughs> and
0: quickly.
1: <laughs> we, we set out to help them basically transform their online shops from being these very sort of transactional, two-dimensional experiences, if that's what you want to call it, to actually becoming a place where people want to come to be inspired, where they have Mm -hmm. an actual discovery, where they have experiences. So we felt like e-commerce was lacking that sort of experiential discovery layer, which social media, for example, provides. So Mm -hmm. what Lisa's SaaS solution do essentially is help online shops to, Think of it like a social media entertainment layer on top of your online shop. That's what Lisa Mm -hmm. does.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that Uh, you mentioned about experiential entertainment layer on top of uh, (laughs) the transactions. A very interesting solution and concept. How did you come up with this idea of building Lisa? I know that uh, prior to founding Lisa, you worked at Metro Group for 10 years, responsible for digital customer experience innovation. What was your journey like, to that? So, yeah, I worked in big box
1: retail for 10 years, as you said. I actually started as a trainee in buying. So I did a very classic sort of retail evolution. And I tended to gravitate more and more towards customer experience related jobs. And then, as you said, in the last two years uh, working for Metro Group, I helped to build up the innovation department. And what I saw is that generally in retail, there's a massive disconnect between people which speak tech and people which speak customer. Therefore, there is this function that is required, which is literally people that understand tech well enough to understand what it can enable, but also understand customers well enough to understand what kind of experiences they would like to have, what kind of problems they would like to have solved with that technology. And that's what we set out to do with that innovation department. However, after 10 years in in a big corporate. <laughs> um, for me personally, I also felt like it was time to, yes, roll up my sleeves and get my hands dirty. And with my co-founder, who was also my husband, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. we set out on our first venture, which we were not very successful with, <laughs> which was to build an online shop, a D2C online shop for kids' fashion. And in this mm-hmm. online shop, we basically experimented with all these different ex- you know, experiential things among which uh, we were experimenting with live shopping so think of us you know 5 years ago basically or me selling kids fashion via Skype or FaceTime to wow. customers in Mexico <laughs> and yeah. realizing that there was something about this mm-hmm. format there was something in this instant live connection which just worked so well mm-hmm. and we then decided that based on our skill set it made a lot more sense that we actually help other retailers with that solutions and scalable SaaS solutions to create these kind of experiences for their customers, and that's how, based on the learnings from our first venture, we pivoted or created our second venture, then Lisa, to help mm-hmm. retailers with SaaS solutions.
0: Okay, wow, you have experienced the live Converse more than five years ago, and <laughs> you're yeah, you're you're right. I think uh, you have observed uh, the live shopping trends happening in China, for example, and then China probably has almost a billion users watching live streaming events on a daily basis, and then about two thirds of them actually make a purchase. So we have seen this huge uptake of companies testing social commerce, like shopping features in the US and Europe. How, how did you see this opportunity? And what are the perceived barriers for them? Yeah, sure. First of all, I think,
1: you know, people look to China and I think it's easy to fall into the trap of saying, oh, well, that's China. That's very different than here. Uh, Mm -hmm. That is true in many ways, but it's also not true in many ways. I think there are certain ecosystem realities that are true in China, which meant that, for example, live shopping could scale incredibly fast. I mean, Mm if 90% of all e-commerce revenue is done by two big players, then if these two big players decide that live shopping is now happening, well, it's now happening, right? So Mm -hmm. obviously we have a much, just as an example. So obviously we have a much more fragmented ecosystem here, which means that, you know, scaling this is going to take longer. But the difference I don't agree with is that people say, or some people say that, you know, customers here just aren't that into it. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like saying, you know, back then, you know, online shopping is only going to be a thing in certain countries, or social media is only <laughs> going to be a thing in certain countries. It's it's right. it's not yeah. true. The question is yeah. just how is it going to be different? So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an American live shopping event for a Gen Z audience might look quite and feel quite different than you know a Chinese live shopping show for. I don't know, silver surfers or whatever, right? So, yes, yeah, there will yeah. be differences to the experience, but generally speaking, the fundamental psychology behind live shopping, where somebody is presenting something live, explaining a product. So, there's also this educational aspect to it. And then there's this mm-hmm. entertainment aspect, plus the fact that you could interact via chat, plus the fact that you can simply buy the product out of the live stream that clearly also from our experience in the last two and a half years appeals to audiences worldwide so and as to your question with the barriers the problem is i think sort of generally speaking um Mm -hmm. that in the west we compare live shopping a lot to what we think tv shopping is Mm. and so there's this immediate assumption that to do live shopping, you need to somehow build a studio, you need to have trained hosts, you need to have all these things, you need to invest all this money. That is not correct. Live shopping actually can be incredibly successful, especially when it's user-generated content, which a brand does not need to pay actually any Mm -hmm. money for necessarily. So the most common misconception right now, and I think barrier, is that brands and retailers are overthinking it, they're overproducing it and that's sort of what's keeping them from really scaling this.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the psychology, the human psychology part of online shopping and looking for something educational, entertainment, and informational are the same across the the globe. And then you mentioned about the fragmented ecosystem in the West, for example, and then we have seen in in the news that some of the big players like TikTok and Facebook, for example, have announced that they're no longer pursuing heavily live shopping functions in certain regions. What's your take on this? Uh, I'm not surprised, actually, at all. Um, And I think
1: it's exactly those two points you're bringing together. So, What seems to be the case uh, for TikTok and Facebook in Europe and the US is that they were experimenting with live shopping, but in a very sort of closed loop way, meaning that they wanted to keep everything in their platform. They wanted to keep users in their platform, user data, obviously, in their platform, the creators on their platform, and they wanted the actual purchase of the product to also happen on the platform. Now, while that may be appealing for smaller brands that have maybe five SKUs, five products uh, on Mm -hmm. offer to experiment with. So I might, if I'm a small vendor and I have five products, be willing to list my products on Facebook shops, for example. Mm -hmm. If I'm, you know, a big player, I'm not going to start listing my products on Facebook shops and I'm not going to start selling my product directly through Facebook. I'm going to have the expectation that I can cooperate with Facebook on live shopping, for example, in a way that the final purchase uh, still happens on my e-commerce platform. If I'm a big retailer or a big brand and at the same time, give the user a seamless experience so that while they are enjoying a show by say Avon (laughs) on Facebook, yeah, that uh, even though they're enjoying it on Facebook, they're still buying the product on Avon.com. And I think, that's what needs to happen in the West, right? I think there Mm -hmm. needs to be this coming together um, and this conversation needs to start happening between retail and social media platforms. And I think as long as social media tries to keep it closed loop, they will only be successful to a certain degree with this. I think there Mm -hmm. needs to be that conversation. And that's actually something that we're doing at Lisa is trying to facilitate that conversation. To create these, Mm -hmm. let's say, seamless experiences cross-platform to become the connector between these different worlds.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Then can you elaborate a little bit more? I know I think a lot of brands wanted to do this, but they don't know how to do. Any case studies you can share with us? like How does Lisa help brands create and facilitate that seamless experiences for uh, consumers?
1: Yeah, so with our, I'd say, classic products by now, it's crazy how fast time evolves. Uh (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Brands or retailers can use our solutions to create their own live shopping channels on their own e-commerce. And we have varying degrees of, let's say, customization options and also varying degrees of integration options, right? Mm -hmm. And so a brand like Charlotte Tilbury, it's a cosmetics brand, which is famous in the UK and the US and yeah. they use Lisa to do live shopping in the UK and the US. That's an interesting case for me because they have done so many things incredibly well. So first of all, from the get-go they were a brand that already had a very strong direct customer relationship, right? Mm-hmm. online. So they already had a strong digital community that they could tap into. So when they went to their customers, they said, "Hey guys, you know, we now do live shopping, sign up here." For the next event or click on the link to join they had a big resonance right of course Mm -hmm. it started small and then it grew and grew and grew but they just did an incredibly good job um, at creating also content which was really compelling Mm -hmm. uh, which made people want to come and want to stay so they have also incredible engagement rates and dwell times and as a result of creating content which is highly relevant to their audience they also have conversion rates of up to 35 percent which is, Mm -hmm. for the West, (laughs) yeah. pretty pretty good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. So that's one example.
1: And another example, so you might think, okay, well, uh, you know, a brand like Charlotte Tilbury, they already had a big digital audience. You know, this is a very natural fit for them because also beauty, you know, lends itself to have tutorials. So there's obvious things that you can do. We're also working with, for example, Marks & Spencer in the UK, which is, from the outside perspective, at least a very mm-hmm. classic department store business, yes. right? With a yeah. strong mm-hmm. online foothold, but nonetheless, right? they are doing an incredible job at embracing this. They really sort of decided that live shopping is going to be an important part of their future strategy. Mm-hmm. And they see it as like, a, I guess, as a customer loyalty tool, mm-hmm. right? So they really look at, okay, you know, how many, not only how many people are coming to the events, because that's not by the way the best thing to optimize for but they really look at are we just generally are we creating things here that are interesting to our audiences mm-hmm. and does it keep mm-hmm. them coming back for more mm-hmm. and it does and that's the biggest success i see in that case that they've also discovered that people come and rewatch the recordings like the same people were rewatch we something multiple times right
0: mm-hmm. which is
1: really exciting
0: yeah wow Great examples of a brand with digital community already enjoying 35% conversion rate, and traditional brand retailers use live shopping, social commerce as a new way to attract customers. So to expand that, what kind of categories could enjoy this potential? Is there any specific advice would you give to brands considering live or social commerce? Yeah, so, I mean, Haisha, as
1: you know, in China, literally everything from oranges to Bentleys is sold via live streams, right?
0: So Even rocket ships, yeah. yeah.
1: So, you know, th- there's no real limit. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's also, I've noticed... Um, Maybe a bit of a Western thing to think of this in categories so much. So we, for example, we're completely, if you will, category agnostic. I personally believe that there are categories that are going to come next, which are going to benefit from this so much, like consumer electronics. And Mm
0: -hmm.
1: one that I personally really hope embraces this soon is DIY. Mm, Because if you look at the kind of content that people consume, for example, uh, through live streams on, I don't know, YouTube or as videos, That kind of educational, you know, how to, whatever, renovate your garage or whatever, you know, like those kind (laughs) of how-to things, but or also consumer electronic reviews, right? Those things get clicked on so much and they get watched so much. So why aren't, you know, retailers at those spaces leveraging this kind of content, which people are actually generating for them already in their name, Uh, and bringing it to their own audiences in a more, I'd say, branded uh, and self-controlled also way. So I see so much, so much potential in those spaces, for example.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a great point. I think, as I mentioned in last month's Retail Influencer Mixer event, we talk about a creator economy and, we are mm-hmm. all creators in this economy, right? And we are all consuming contents at the same time, and then even folding origamis, and then cooking, mm-hmm. right? Buying, like, what to buy for family, for children. We all uh, like look for contents online, and are created by normal consumers. And you're right. I think the, the sky is the limit, probably. And in the business I ran before, our team has use live shopping to tour the manufacturer, for example, or to Mm -hmm. do a show and tell about a new product. And sometimes just interview the founder for the stories. And a lot of times it was amazing to see like how relatable the consumers can feel when the founders share the authentic stories. And otherwise they, they could not find this kind of information Somewhere else, you know. That's a great, uh, great point. I think
1: authenticity is, you know, the critical element in all of this. You still want something to look professional, right? I mean, let's yeah. face it: if you're a brand or retailer, you don't want something to look like somebody, you know, made it in their garage or something. So, mm-hmm. a certain level of professionalism and how it looks and feels definitely should be there. But given the technology capabilities today, and also the level that creators are at by now that's actually not that hard to achieve even in a simple sort of setting. And then the authenticity really is this sort of difference between people sort of just watching a show or actually really engaging and interacting because the closer they feel to to the person that's hosting, the more relatable they are, the more questions they will ask, the longer they'll stay, and the more they will buy.
0: Right. Yeah, I think uh, live shopping, for example, have experienced from product feature explanation. It's more of a customer service in more detail. And then it move on to more storytelling. And nowadays, I I think there's a trend of story living in a way that I think the person will try to recreate that scenario for the audience to relive or live together, reimagine stories together. Great, yeah. I think I believe we can talk more and more <laughs> about those scenarios, and then, yeah, in in the bigger picture, then we talk about you. You mentioned about the fragmented ecosystem, mm-hmm. and in the, in the in the West, and it's a little bit different from China in other uh, places. So, what's what do you see the the future? Then, what's the ecosystem the of the social commerce in the West is going, going to look like? Well, I think, um, or we at least, I think that there needs
1: to be somebody connecting the dots. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's a role we're, we're, you know, looking and happy to play. But essentially, what it's about is, I mean, also media platforms, not just social media, but media in general, for example, you know, there's so much potential for them to entertain also their audiences in different ways, and for for example, monetize it. So Uh, We've actually recently launched a product specifically for media, Mm -hmm. uh, which is like a headless live shopping solution. So it requires zero integration. Mm -hmm. And if you're a blog, for example, you can use this uh, product to create live shopping events on your blog, and then you can link it out to any product in any online shop without having to have any API, and you still get the affiliate attribution. So um, and for the user, for if I'm watching the live show on my favorite blog, I click on the product, the product page opens in a new window, but the stream follows me there, right? So, and I can mm-hmm. navigate back to the stream. So these are the ways in which we're trying to facilitate, you know, journeys across the ecosystem in a headless and seamless way. Because sometimes, you know, you can talk and talk and talk about doing something or sometimes you can just create products which make (laughs) that possible. Um, And then people see what it means to have something be really seamless, even if Mm -hmm. it doesn't require a lot of integration. And that's how we're approaching this at Lisa to really offer these kind of products, which just make it so easy (laughs) uh, to have these kind of seamless experiences that we hope that this will bring the different let's say, players of the ecosystem closer together, right? Uh, right. We hope yeah. that they will see why it helps everybody to work together um, yeah. versus everybody trying to build their own customer database and defending it above everything
0: else, you know? All right. Yeah, that, that's great. Well said. I look forward to seeing more creative solutions from Lisa and other providers as well to create these seamless experiences for consumers, e-retailers, and brands. Thank you. Thank you, Sophie, for the insightful conversation on live shopping and social commerce. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you, haisha Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast.